just getting back to normal, doesn't it? Like it feels like we got a normal flow going again. This morning's scripture is found in 1 Peter 1. It's verses 3 through 9. The header in my Bible says, Born again to a living hope. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to live, be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through its test of the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you did not, though you do not now, you believed in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your soul. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear gracious Lord, it is through your Son that you've given us new life, new hope. Help us to live as new people in pursuit of this new way of living, a holy and pleasing life that gives honor and glory to you. God, we ask that you grant us wisdom so that we know what we must do, a will to follow what we must do, the courage to do what you require and what you ask of us, the perseverance to continue until it is done, and the strength in the completion of it. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son. Amen. Amen. So 1 Peter is written to the Christians who were suffering, who were struggling with their faith, and actually suffering because of their faith. It's a picture that we see all throughout the Bible. It often leads to struggle when you say, I'm going to follow. Because when you follow, you're not staying in the world. So in this passage, we see how holding on to our faith in the middle of, of suffering is so critical, not only to ourselves, but to those around us. You've heard me say it so many times before. Every time you fall down, there's somebody watching you to see how you get up. There's somebody watching to see how you duck and roll. So in this section, it begins by praising God for the privilege that he's bestowed on us as believers. Peter's encouraging the readers and, and reminding them that through the resurrection of Christ, God has caused them to be born again. The result of this new birth is that they had acquired an eternal inheritance reserved in heaven. Believers will be delivered to heaven, their eternal home, 
through their faith in the gospel. So let's kind of run through this verse by verse real quick. So in verse 3, it says, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though God was known in the Old Testament as the creator and the redeemer, rarely was he called Father. Christ, however, is the one that addressed him as the Father in James 5. And except for the separation on the cross, which is seen in Matthew 27, Christ always claimed God as the Father. And what he was claiming is he had the same nature, the being, the essence of the Father. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse, um, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our times of affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in such afflictions with the comfort that was given to us by God. Also by speaking of our Lord, Peter personalizes this. This is an intimate relationship with God. The God of the universe, through his Son, there's an intimate relationship. You can also see 1 Corinthians 6 for this. But the reason God provided a glorious salvation for mankind is because he's merciful. Sinners need God's mercy. Even those in the faith every single day fall short. We need God's mercy to help separate us from the conditions here on earth. But verse 3 goes on to tell us that Christ calls us to be born again. God gave a new birth as part of his provision for the salvation. Because when sinners come to Christ and they put their faith in him, they're born anew into God's family. They receive a new nature. It's a living hope. A living hope is eternal. Hope means confident and optimistic. That's what we are in faith. We are confident in the promises of Scripture. We are optimistic of God having abundance waiting for us. And that's what he wants for us. Because we know that when Christ returns, we're going to see so many things fall into place, including every knee will bow. Living hope is a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's defined by Scripture. It's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. It defends us against all of Satan's attacks. And it will be fulfilled when Christ returns. So verse 4, it talks about inheritance. So Peter shows those that are being persecuted, don't look at your past trials. In recovery, we tell people, stop looking backwards. That's where the enemy held you captive. Look forward to the life that God has for you. Praise him now for the blessings he's going to give you. Eternal inheritance includes joy, life, peace, God's presence, Christ's companionship, just to name a few. And this inheritance is not subject to pass away, nor will it decay. Nothing of our God will decay. He will prune areas of our life, but it will not decay because it's God. Imperishable is a word that's used in secular Greek. And what this meant then was something that was unravaged by an invading enemy. 
Your faith is imperishable because the enemy's army cannot touch our inheritance. It's imperishable. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then inherit heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You want to see me get on the soapbox? Take scripture out of context. I've been biting my tongue these last couple of weeks. Glory here is not a pedestal. We're so quick to put our understanding and our interpretation on a word, and it changes the whole meaning of Scripture. We have to look at the history, the context, everything that's going on around them at the time of Scripture. Glory here is not a pedestal. It's not a pat on the back. The ultimate glory of a disciple is to endure suffering, to never renounce Christ or God, no matter what happens, whether they're mocked, they're ridiculed, physically persecuted. Glory is sustained by going through the, surf, the suffering and the persecution. Yes. We see churches all around. They start getting persecuted, and what happens? People leave. They don't want to be in that fire. I'm here to tell you, that fire is where God stands with us and shields us from that flame. He needs us to stand together. Verse 5 goes on and talks about the supreme power and the sovereignty that keeps the believers secure and safeguarded. No one can sell our treasure in heaven. No one can disqualify a believer from receiving it. God's saving grace is permanent. It never dies, unlike the promises of the world. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Please hear this. God's grace is in every aspect of redemption. Even, even redemption from thinking you're unlovable. Thinking you're not good enough. Thinking you're too dirty to come to God. Thinking you won't be accepted because you don't have the right clothes if you walk in church. His grace is in all of these things. Just come to him. Because if you're not coming to him, then you are listening to the lies of the enemy. And all the enemy wants to do is to keep you away from receiving grace. The enemy wants to keep you from understanding who you are because of whose you are. Because when you understand that, then you understand you've got power. And when you stand on scripture, and you stand with all the authority of scripture, and you speak to the enemy, he knows he has to leave. He doesn't want you to learn that, though. Verse 6 goes on to tell us, Rejoice in every trial. So Peter preaches several important principles here about troubles. Troubles don't last. Troubles do serve a purpose. Troubles bring turmoil. Troubles cause various forms of an outcome. Many times it's because of our knee-jerk reactions. Trouble should not diminish your joy. Rejoice in it all. James 1, 2 tells us that to count it all as joy, when you meet your trials of various kinds, for you know that you will be tested for your faith. Your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness 
have its full effect that you may be perfect and you will lack nothing. Verse 7 goes on to tell us that God's purpose in allowing troubles is to test our reality of our faith. I've said this many times. I will say it over and over again that I believe we are in a time when humanity is being sifted like flour in a flour sifter. You see the clumps, and any of y'all that bake, you've already got the visual. You see the clumps of, of the flour, and you've got it in the sifter, and the metal arm is going back and forth, and the clumps are staying together, so you keep going back and forth it. I believe it's humanity. We are those clumps when we're holding on to all that the world promises us. We're not going to be going through the trial and understand what kind of outcome God has for us because we're holding tightly like a clump to everything the world can give us, even though in the end, all that will die. But it's only when we raise our hands in praise that we let go of the worldly stuff and we pass through the sifter, we pass through the trials, and we come out on the other side and God creates beauty from all of our ashes. It's the benefit of such trial. This is that once we see how God has brought us through the trial, brought us through the fire, that our trial becomes a testimony to others who feel like they're being consumed by the fire, who we see are holding on as tight as they can. I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, just let go. But you don't understand how hard I work to get it. Just let go. And I think about, and I know it circulated a while back on Facebook, um, this child that's holding a bear. It's about this big. I said, but I love it. It's mine. And Jesus has knelt down with his bear about this big behind him. And he says, I just want to give you something better. We don't know what he's got for us on the other side. All he says is trust. Follow me. And when we come out on the other side, I don't know about y'all, but it's amazing. There's stuff that he has put into my life. I'm like, I've never even thought of. Or I didn't ever feel worthy of. Never crossed my mind. And then I see God has opened all these doors. He just needs us to trust as we go through the fire. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, Now if anyone builds on a foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one will be tested by fire. If you build your foundation on worldly items, the spiritual fire of the enemy will consume it. It's like having our castle built on sand. Slowly the ocean gets closer and closer and closer until it takes that sand castle down. Verse 9 and 10 tells us when we come through the fire, we instantly praise and give glorification to God. I think it's a reminder that praise and worship is not reserved for after the fire has gone. We should praise him before we ever see the fire. We should praise him as the fire gets close. We should praise him in the fire. Because the enemy can't take you out unless you submit to him. Many of y'all know last year I went through a whirlwind. And there were so many times I would walk through my house and I would have YouTube on playing gospel. And I'd have nightlights on. And I would be walking through the whole house. 
God, I don't know what's going to be thrown at me next, but you do. I just need you to give me wisdom when to shut my mouth, when to say the words you give me, sit me down when I need to be sat down, and give me the strength to stand when I've got to stand. Whatever it is, I'm relying on you to tell me. There were many times we'd be sitting in my house and I would look at my sister or family members and I'd say, this is what the Spirit spoke. We got to act now. When you stay in that prayer, God, I don't know what's coming, but you do. God, prepare me. Help me. I don't know about you, but sometimes the hardest prayer I pray is, God, shut my mouth and it needs to be shut. Because this will tell you everything I'm thinking. But if I'm not quick, the voice is going to also tell you. Because in those moments, I don't want to be a tool of the enemy. There's times I need God to just shut me up. Take every word out of my thought. Do not give me anything. Don't let me be a tool of the enemy. Because we're real quick to do those knee-jerk reactions. See, while the fire is the consequence of sin, the power of God shields us from being consumed by the fire. It doesn't mean we are not going to have consequences for our actions. John 20, 29 says, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet still believe. I know many of y'all have shared stories of how God has been moving in your life. And I have people that say, well, I need to physically hear God. I need to physically see God. And I'm thinking, open your eyes. How can you not see him? When you see him putting things in place, when you see mountains being moved, that there's no way man can move it. How can you not see him? But then I also have to remember that prayer is a two-way conversation. And that means sometimes we have to quit saying, God, gimme, gimme, gimme. Sometimes we have to be quiet and sit in meditation with the Spirit. And sometimes there's nothing said, but you're covered by peace and you know the Spirit's with you. We have to rejoice in those times too. As we wrap up our, our service, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that you would sustain our faith you would guard our faith, that you would help us, that you would help us even right now to look at your love, your love for us as believers. You loved us even before the world was formed. You knew us. God, you set our heart into motion. I fully believe that that first moment that a monitor can hear a baby's heart is because you have set the heart into motion. You sent your son to die on the cross for us because you love us. Help us remember our inheritance is imperishable, undefilable, and unfading. Yahweh, we praise you today. Our story on earth will not end with death. Long after we're gone, our name will leave a legacy of how we treated others. That is how we will be known and remembered. Your word promises to guard us, to guide us, and to lead us through these trials that the enemy tries to bring grievance to us through. Help us pass the test. Help us to let go and raise our hands in praise so we can pass through 
the test of the sifting. May we walk through the fires of this earth and the trials in a way that will bring honor and glory to you as we serve you, but also so that others will say, I don't know what carried you through that, but I want to know more about it. Lord, there are days when I say, Jesus, we need you to come quickly to rescue us before this earth is completely engulfed in flames. God, we pray you for all the things you have done in our lives, all the opportunities you've given us, all the doors that you've opened. We praise you and we honor you and we give you glory. We ask for you to strengthen us, guide us, and lead us. And we ask for this in the precious name of your risen Son. Amen.